You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more and less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. My name is Michael Williamson and I'm your host. Today we are in Johnstown, Ohio with Curaleaf and I'm with the Cultivation Manager, Ronnie Richardson. Ronnie, thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you for the tour. Uh, it's actually really impressive and I learned a lot about Curaleaf and kind of what you guys are working towards and goals for the future. But um, to get started, would you mind telling me just a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this role? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always just kind of had, you know, a green thumb growing up. You know, I was, I was a kid that was, you know, running around my parents' uh, flower beds, you know, looking for the little maple sapling that maybe popped up uh, that they were going to pull out when they go through and weed. I would, you know, dig that up and transplant it down in our wood line. And, you know, just always love, you know, watching you know, a little uh, sapling or seedling, you know, grow up into this tree in a few years. And just kind of always had a passion for growing things and um, just loved, loved, you know, seeing that. All throughout high school, I was in FFA, Future Farmers of America. You know, I grew up in a, a rural agricultural area, um, so that was that was pretty prevalent. You know, growing up, loved you know all the experiences that I got in FFA. My senior year of high school, actually, uh, we had a innovative farming idea scholarship um, that you could enter in, and you know I, I was you know kind of just you know dipping my toes into uh, cultivating and um, I had just started you know growing my first plants and stuff. And, first uh, cannabis plants. Yes, first yeah. cannabis plants, yep. I grew, you know, six uh, autoflowers flowers start to finish um, from my very first time ever, you know, growing cannabis, uh, which was the very first cannabis I ever consumed. And I wanted to kind of, you cool. know, see everything start to finish. Um, and, you know, was very, uh, you know, cautious about what I put in my body and, you know, heard all these, you know, rumors and, uh, you know, myths about cannabis. So I was, you know, didn't want to get anything, you know, it was laced from someone or whatever. So I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good at growing stuff. You know, I'm, I'm sure I could figure out how to grow cannabis. So I grew my first plants, you know, start to finish and consume that. And uh, it kind of completely changed my perspective. Um, but no, um, you know, my senior year of high school, we had that Innovative Farming Idea Scholarship. You know, anyone in FFA could, you know, write down you know, any idea that they wanted um, and kind of explain their idea and, you know, submit this to the, to the board. And, you know, they would make a decision on whose idea they thought was the best and uh and i had all kinds of ideas you know brainstorming just from kind of reading about cannabis production and different methodologies and deep water culture and all this stuff that i was you know learning about that i'd never heard of before so i came up with this idea of you know implementing basically large-scale deep water culture on a farm pond so you had these big long long troughs uh, you know on floats across the farm pond uh, you know all the aeration for this was ran off a windmill um, and it was just kind of uh, interesting idea, you know, had, you know, fish farmed in the pond, you know, so the fish hydrolysate, you know, kind of helping feed the plants and just kind of an idea that I, that I came up with for this and didn't even really think that this was going to win this uh, scholarship or anything. Uh, it was actually the period before that I had to turn this in. I was, I was sitting in history class and uh, one of my friends was like, hey, did you, you know, did you get your idea, you know, submitted for this FFA scholarship? And I was like, oh crap, you know, I, I for completely forgot about this. Uh, so I took the rubric out of my book bag and literally took the rubric, flipped it over on the back side, you know, just blank printer paper and, and just started writing down my idea. And, you know, I, I filled out the, the page from top to bottom 
uh, with this whole entire idea and turn it in the next period to my ag teacher, you know, not really thinking much about it. I just kind of wanted to put my idea down on paper and, you know, meanwhile, we have all these other, um, you know, people that submitted, you know, PowerPoints and, you know, these more formal uh, sure. different things. And I was like, you know, I don't stand a chance of winning the scholarship, but hey, at least, you know, I got my idea in there. Uh, so fast forward, you know, a couple months, they, they had the ceremony for announcing who won the scholarship and, and I didn't even go to it. I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to win this. Like, not even going to bother going. You know, it was an after school um, thing. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to go. Uh, well, one of my friends uh, called me like, hey, did you hear that, you know, uh, you won that scholarship for the innovative farming idea? And I'm like, no way. Like, are you serious? So, you know, I, I got awarded a scholarship uh, for that idea, which was pretty cool. Uh, it was called the James Devine Innovative Farming uh, Scholarship, Innovative Farming Idea Scholarship. So you know it was kind of cool. Got a little plaque, and you know got some money gifted to me. Uh, Pretty progressive for Ohio, too, yeah. right at this time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so that was awesome uh, to to kind of get that scholarship. Um, you know, I already had a full ride scholarship uh, for OU, so I basically just pocketed that money and used it for you know books and other things that I needed for school. So it was awesome to to kind of you know get get that scholarship. Um, was not expecting that at all, but yeah, it was cool cool experience. Um, what did you go to school for? So I went to school for nursing. Um, I, I took the bachelor's of science nursing program at OU. I mean, I've always wanted to help people, you know, always into, you know, medical science, um, kind of really loved that realm and thought that was a, you know, a good avenue for me to, to help people, you know, by doing nursing. And, um, you know, did that for, for three years, you know, like I said, on, I was on a full ride scholarship, um, which is, you know, very, very grateful for. Um, I, I came from a family that didn't have, you know, a lot of extra money to, you know, put me through school. So my, my parents really pushed, um, you know, for, you know, maintaining you know a good gpa throughout high school i, I graduated with a 4.0 which led me to get that full ride scholarship uh, based off of academia um, which i'm very very grateful for you know my parents pushing that sure. but yeah i was able to go to go to school for free and um you know it was my third year in on my bachelor's degree and i just kind of was quickly realizing that you know nursing might not be the, the avenue that i you know see myself you know doing for you know 20 years or retiring from um, and i was you know getting into cannabis, you know, at that time and kind of learning more and more. And I, I saw cannabis kind of turning into this, this whole entire thing. And I, I saw that, you know, the possibilities for it of becoming a legitimate, you know, industry. And I was like, you know, I really want to be, you know, on the forefront of this. So I dropped out of my, uh, my full ride scholarship, which did not come uh, without scrutiny from my parents. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, they thought, you know, I was throwing my life away. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're in your third year, you got one more year to go. And uh, I, I just knew that uh, I didn't want to do that anymore, and um, I, I dropped out. I went to Cleveland School of Cannabis, uh, which was a kind of a first uh, of its kind type of program. Uh, there's only two schools in the United States that are state accredited programs. Uh, Cleveland School of Cannabis is one of them, and that started in 2017. Hmm. Uh, I was one of the very first ever uh, people that went through that program up in Cleveland. Uh, I did their condensed classes, which were like eight-hour classes on the weekend. Uh, but uh, that school was about two and a half hours away from me, so I was driving, you know, two and a half hours one way, sit in an eight-hour class all day long, and then oh, that's dedication. Uh, drive two and a half hours home. Uh, sometimes I would get a hotel up there, you know, if I could. Uh, so yeah, you know, I was spending a lot of, uh, you know, time and you know my own uh, money to to you know do this because there was no scholarship for CSC. You know, that was all out of pocket. You know, I was paying for it myself. So you know, I was doing that for a while. Um, we had an alumni coordinator who's kind of responsible for you know helping you know get graduates you know into the industry in Ohio or aligning them with you know uh, companies that are looking for you know people that have that you know interest in, in getting into the, the market. So 
uh, she actually got um, an offer from Cureleaf for a sales and marketing position, and she took that. So she, you know, informed me like, hey, you know, I'm going to be leaving uh, Cleveland School of Cannabis. You know, I'm going to be working for this company called Cureleaf. Uh, but, you know, I, I see how dedicated you are and, you know, I think that you have a lot of passion and I think you're really smart and I, I see a lot of, you know, potential in you. She's like, you know, would you be interested in possibly, you know, interviewing uh, with this Cureleaf company? And, you know, of course, you know, my, you know, my eyes light up and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, where's this uh, facility at? And she's like, oh, it's, it's going to be in Licking County. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm like, I live in Lincoln County. That's literally in my backyard. Every um, grower's dream. Yeah, literally every grower's dream, right? You know, a lot of people that, that get into this, um, you know, industry have to, you know, move, you know, out west, move to Colorado, move to California to kind of get that experience. And, you know, I love, you know, where I live. I love Ohio. I was born and raised here. Um, and I didn't want to do that. So um, I, I hit the jackpot in that regard, you know, that I was able to, you know, get on with a facility right in my backyard. Yeah, I, I took that opportunity. I, I got an interview with the cultivation manager at the time, inter interviewed for a cultivation tech role. Uh, and just through talking with them, and you know, I had a little bit of um, extraction knowledge and background and stuff. So they're like, well, you know, we don't have anyone for the lab side of things. Would you be interested, you know, possibly, you know, joining on as a lab tech? And you know, I was just trying to get my foot in the door anywhere, any way that I could. So I was like, absolutely, you know, I, I would love to do that. So. Started off as just, you know, a lab tech on the lab side of things. Did that for a while. Learned a lot. Um, I got hired on before we even had a license to operate in this facility. So, built out a lot of different you know, pieces of equipment. Kind of helped, you know, put the lab together and built a lot of different things. Uh, we had uh, an extraction system at the time that we ended up um, pivoting away from and switching to a, a new extraction system. And uh, Cureleaf, you know, sent me out to one of our sites on the East Coast in Massachusetts to learn this extraction system. They were using it there uh, at that lab. And so I went out there for a few days um, and trained and uh, you know brought that information back uh, to the other lab techs and the lab manager at the time and um, you know kind of shared you know with them the knowledge that I'd gained over there. And just kind of you know through demonstrating my abilities, you know, to do that and you know good leadership abilities, you know, they quickly realized like, hey, you know, we should we should uh, you know try and get this guy into more of an elevated role. Um, and that's when I, I got the opportunity for post-harvest supervisor. Uh, the cultivation manager who had interviewed me kind of regretted uh, letting me go over to sure. the lab side of things yeah. after, you know, I kind I of built a rapport with him and stuff. So you know, he was always, you know, asking me, when are you ready to, you know, come back over to, to the cultivation side? He's like, you know, we'll love to have you. And, um, you know, that, that post-harvest post supervisor position, um, you know, was something that they created, they, they needed, you know, a leader for. And, uh, he approached me and was like, hey, you know, would you, you know, be interested in coming back over to cultivation for this role? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, you know, any upward mobility, you know, is, is great. So I would, I would love that opportunity. Um, so I took that role, did that for a while, got some, some good leadership experience and, um, you know, got to work with a smaller team around six to eight people and kind of build out that whole entire process. And uh, Cureleaf sent me away, uh, you know, f to learn and train for that. Um, which is great, you know, they, they have a lot of different facilities across the country, so a lot of resources and um, a lot of knowledge out there. So super thankful for, you know, those opportunities that Cureleaf, you know, gave me to, to better myself and you know, very, very grateful for that. Uh, so I did that for a while, uh, post-harvest supervisor, basically ran everything that happened to the plant um, after it got chopped down. Then uh, cultivation manager at the time uh, ended up res resigning. Uh, he, he was my boss, my direct report, and I saw that as a you know opportunity when he resigned to to apply for that. There's definitely some reservation, um, you know, with with me applying for that role, you know, from upper management. You know, I I didn't have, you know, a lot of experience, you know, in the cultivation realm. You know, a lot of 
uh, head growers or cultivation managers or directors of cultivation, you know, they come from you know ten years you know of experience uh, in the industry, and, and I didn't have that, um, so there was definitely some reservations there. But I, you know, I ensured them that you know I was the right fit for the role. Um, you know, I had I had the passion and you know I had the drive and um, you know I had the leadership skills there, which I think are very important to leading a successful team. So you know, Curly, you know, took took that opportunity to to give me a chance to to try out you know, you know with this cultivation manager role, and um, you know it's it's worked out great. You know, we've we've built a great culture here. We have a great team, and you know everyone you know. It, it, Worked out great, and you know, everyone you know, loves the culture that we've we've uh, built here, and um, we're doing we're doing fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you tell me a little bit about the facility that we're in? So you know, some people will get to see some video, but some people are listening via podcast. So for the those that are listening in, can you describe the facility a bit and and whatever level of detail that you can, so they can kind of get an idea of kind of the space that we're in? Right? Sure, absolutely. So the Johnstown facility was kind of the, f- the first ever purpose-built facility for Cureleaf. Um, you know, a lot of our sites were you know, previous acquisitions, kind of, you know, existing infrastructure was kind of already there. Uh, but this was, you know, one of the very first sites that Cureleaf had ever built from the ground up. So, you know, it was really purpose-built in that regard. We are the first ever tiered grow that L- uh, Cureleaf um, had is all, all LED grow, double tiered. Um, so that was kind of different from some other Cureleaf build outs. In Ohio, uh, you know, there's there's a cap on the amount of square footage allowance, you know, for each license. Uh, we have a tier one license, so we're allowed 25,000 square foot of canopy. Um, you know, and having the PIP system, the double tiers, um, really allows us to, you know, have more square footage, you know, than you know, what the license really you know, allows because they're only looking at the floor print square foot. Oh, that's right. So it's not it's not 25,000 square feet of canopy. It's actually 25,000 square feet of Room, yes, right, and but it doesn't inc- it includes your main hallway or no, mobile. So, so the only thing that they count um, is you know the flower square footage and um, veg. They don't count mom. They don't count clone. Okay. So that doesn't count against. But it's not canopy or plant count. Nope, it's a. Uh, Basically, just square footage of yeah, space. floor print square footage. That's pretty unique compared to other states. Yes, it is. Um, so you're allowed to go up to I think like seven tiers in Ohio. So you can basically have seven times of what the uh, you know twenty five thousand is sure. if you were to you know just tier off that. So you know the PIP system definitely makes sense in Ohio. You know we can get a lot more you know canopy in that allowance um, as opposed to not having that type of a system. So sure, yeah, that makes total sense. How many employees are in a space like this? So uh, we have a processing facility here, and we also have you know our grow. But just on the grow side of things, we're sitting right around um, 26 full-time employees. So yeah, relatively small team to comparative to some of our other larger sites. Uh, but you know, looking at it from like a national or global perspective, Cureleaf employees around 5,700 um, employees across the nation, um, even you know in other countries as well. So Cureleaf you know employs quite a quite a bit of people. We have a you know pretty large team. Um, but yeah, Cureleaf, uh, very, very big team. Is Cureleaf in every licensed state? I don't think that we're in every licensed state. We're currently operating in uh, 22 states right now. And we also have a global presence um, in the UK uh, in some key areas. Like um, we have, I think we have, um, we have some stuff in, uh, over in Europe and the UK, Germany, uh, France, Italy, Spain, and Portugal. Um, we're the largest vertically integrated cannabis wow. company um, right now overseas, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, and you know they're ever expanding. So sure, yeah. 
Oh, well, that's awesome. When a lot of people, I think, when they think of a big MSO or multi-state operator, they don't always think of like high quality. Can we talk a little bit about what you're doing differently at this facility? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for to 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 maintain a, a high level of quality. Absolutely. Yeah. So large MSOs such as Cureleaf, you know, kind of get a bad rep for being you know corporate cannabis or the Walmart of weed, you know, and um, a lot of those big MSOs kind of get a bad rep for not really focusing on quality and uh, kind of focusing on quantity. Uh, but but Cureleaf has has kind of realized the importance of know maintaining really high quality product um, you know as the market kind of gets more educated you know um, consumers are looking for that quality over quantity type of perspective um, so so Cureleaf is you know kind of shifted gears and, and realized the importance in that um, so so you know at this facility specifically uh, we've put a lot of value in that you know trying to maintain you know almost a craft level of um, you know quality here uh, you know so you know, lowering plant counts you know so you get you know really good high quality you know bud development you know more a's and b quality buds as opposed to c's and d's which you know plays into the final end product um, so that was you know something that we did a little bit differently here um, than we had done in the past and it, we're kind of adopting that type of mentality at other sites as well and you know having the leds as opposed to you know maybe hps or cmh is kind of a different approach here you know higher terpene content flower things of that nature it's kind of the focus for this facility and you know kind of trialing out some different things here that you know we haven't tried at other sites um, kind of think of it as like a flagship facility uh, where we can trial some of these different technologies and, and see how they work and then you know standardize these practices you know across the organization so I know you were traveling a bit this week at other Cureleaf locations um, are you doing a lot of training on site here and, and it seems like you guys have a lot of collaboration between cultivation leadership and just leadership in general getting to other sites and supporting each other yeah, can you talk to that at all yeah absolutely um, you know that's that's something that Cureleaf is really trying to focus on as an organization you know we have these pockets of excellence you know all across the country um, and now we want to leverage those pockets of excellence you know standardizing best practices you know from one facility to another you know um, we've seen a lot of different challenges at different facilities and you know sharing those those wins and those losses you know so other you know uh, facilities you know don't have to go through that that same you know pain of making a mistake or you know what can we learn from this facility so we don't make that mistake here and I think it's really important to kind of promote that open dialogue you know the communication you know across the organization so you you get some of those you know standard practices implemented you know across the board and that's really tough to do with a really big organization like Cureleaf is you know we're operating in, in 22 states we have different regulatory bodies you know to work around and there's you know different limiting factors you know in each state that we're in but just really trying to push for you know a standardization of you know what we're doing you know in the garden or in the lab um, and just you know promoting those best practices you know wherever we can yeah the that it's, there's so many challenges in cannabis. It's never like, you know, I always say the growing part's almost like the easy part. Um, if you could just grow to grow, it would be a much smoother process, but you know, you have all these layers of compliance and you have all these different, whether it's local municipalities or state regulations that kind of make you jump through different hoops. And that's probably one of the hardest parts about standardizing a footprint like you guys have. Can we talk a little bit about the state of Ohio? Because I learned about the Ohio 10th, yeah. and that was a new that was new information yeah. to me. But for uh, someone who's listening that's not familiar or not from Ohio, um, 
yeah, the Ohio 10th. Can we can we talk about that denomination a little yeah, bit absolutely. and how maybe how it came to be? Or so I'm not 100% certain on as to how they came up with that. Um, you know, 2.83 is you know the the 10th Ohio 10th, and um, you know they equate that to a one day supply. I'm not sure who came up with that or you know why they chose that number. Uh, but you know that was you know up to the board of pharmacy to to decide that. So yeah, we kind of have a um, a day um, allotment um, for patients. So. You know, you're allowed 45 days at a time, and you know a 2.83, for instance, would be like one day. Um, where at, you know, like, let's say like a one gram cart, you know, that might be mm -hmm. two days supply. You know, taken off of your uh, your allowance or whatever. Um, so it's kind of weird. You know, we had a uh, a tier structure as well in the beginning. We had you know tier one flower and tier two. I think tier tier one was you know 23% THC and below, and tier two was you know anything above that. Um, and they've kind of done away with that uh, tiered system which is nice uh, but yeah I anticipate some, some more changes you know in the future to you know the higher reg regulations and kind of get away from the whole uh, 2.83s or um, you know maybe do away from the the day allowance or I'm sure there's there's going to be some changes to the program you know kind of as it matures uh, but we do other denominations you know other than 2.83 we still do you know um, you know quarters and half ounce and even in one ounce um, but there's no eighth yeah, for some reason we don't. The, the tenth is the eighth. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just it's interesting. It is is very interesting. Some other um, interesting you know type of regulations that Ohio has that other states might not is we have a, um, a THC cap like on you know vendable flour. Uh, Ohio puts a cap at thirty five percent. So you know if we have the cultivar that we just really knock out of the park and you know does phenomenal and back at let's say thirty eight percent, you know. Uh, we can't sell that. Um, you know that would have to go to like our, our processing facility or sell it as biomass. But you can't sell that as vendable flour in the state of Ohio, which is uh, you know kind of an unusual sure. um, regulation. And then same thing on the concentrate side. Uh, they cap that at seventy percent. Um, so your carts and that's a lot more and, challenging. At least thirty-five percent THCA or THC is you know it, it happens, but right. it's less common. But 75% on concentrates. Yeah, 70% on the concentrates. 70% yeah. concentrate. That's tough. It is tough. You know, most distillate, you know, coming out, we're looking at 90% plus usually. Mm -hmm. um, so it's challenging, you know, to formulate a, a cart, um, you know, that falls underneath that, um, which is definitely, you know, a challenging aspect in the state of Ohio that's different from some of the other states that we operate in. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Can you tell me a little bit about the local market in terms of kind of supply and demand and buyer trends and, and maybe some of your most popular products or cultivars uh, that patients are really kind of coming back to time and time again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in, in Ohio, because of the regulations that we have, we kind of have an interesting uh, demand that differs from some, some of our other markets. Um, you know, with that tiered system that they had originally, it kind of, um, you know, push patients to want to, you know, aim for those, those tier ones, you know, that were lower, you know, under the 23%, so it wouldn't use up as many days. But now that that tiered system is kind of gone, um, you know, the market is kind of dominated by, you know, patients that are looking for higher THC cultivars, you know, just kind of really fixating on that total THC content, as opposed to looking at other cannabinoids and terpenes. And I think as the Ohio market kind of matures and, you know, learns about, you know, these different, you know, cannabinoids that play into entourage effect and the importance of these terpenes, uh, you know, on the effect of the, the medicine that they're using. I think that we'll see kind of a, a paradigm shift, you know, from, you know, that prohibition uh, style of, you know, methodology where I just want the highest THC content, you know, that I can get and that's the only thing that I care about. And I think we'll kind of see that shift over, you know, to, you know, 
looking at other cannabinoid contents, you know, in a strain, or you know, looking at the terp top three terpenes in a strain to kind of give the a patient the effect that they're looking for, um, which will be interesting to kind of see that that shift over the next few years. Yeah, I, I do see that as a common theme, right? People are chasing THC, and I think that they're like, well, why would I spend fifty dollars on this one that's eighteen percent when I can get one that's thirty-two percent for the same dollar amount sometimes? Um, and I think that's tricky for people. But I, I, I can't tell, you know, some people are just like, I want the strongest stuff. You know, they walk into a dispensary, what's the strongest stuff you have? It's like one of the first questions out. What are some of like your top selling cultivars um, that you guys are really proud of? So we're, we're, you know, constantly bringing in a lot of new genetics and kind of, you know, figuring out what works best in the market. Um, you know, what, what's our top sellers? You know, what, what is the high market not like? And you know, kind of, you know, trying to gear up our, our load plan in our garden, you know, to kind of meet demand. Um, so, you know, we, we, we work with the uh, demand resource team a lot, you know, you know, what do we need to put in the load plan? How do we need to, um, you know, load up our grow plans, you know, to, so we're supplying, you know, sales and marketing with, you know, the strains that they want. Um, so that's kind of, you know, an ongoing process. Um, my, my personal favorite cultivar uh, that we grow is banana papaya. Um, it's just, I don't know, checks all the boxes Sounds for me. Nice. I yeah. really like it. Um, so that, that's a really good seller for us here. Um, our white hot guava does really well, mm -hmm. uh, but we have a lot of uh, new strains coming down the pipeline that everyone in the back is very excited about, and I anticipate those, you know, doing really well um, in the Ohio market. So we'll see uh, how that how that you know turns out for us. But you know, lots of new stuff coming down the pipeline. In the Ohio market, do you see a lot of the same cultivars being sold and grown out there? It's look pretty repetitive. Yeah, yeah. There's um, you know a lot of repeat cultivars from cultivator to cultivator, uh, but a lot of the stuff that we have kind of differs. You know, all those, you know, uh, type of hype strains, you know, everyone's growing all that same sure. stuff. But it, it's nice to kind of, you know, get away from that and, and grow some things that, you know, other cultivators might not have. And, you know, patient sees that on the menu, like, oh, you know, I've, I haven't seen that, you know, I'd like to give this a try. Or, or, you know, that's a really old school genetic that I haven't seen around for a while. You know, I'd love to pick that up. Um, so it'll be it'll be cool to see how some of these new strains kind of work out in the high market. Yeah, it was cool that when I was looking at your list, um, you had some old school stuff that, you know, it's like, LA Affy, uh, the Shoreline, Texas Shoreline I saw in there, I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, but then you had a bunch of new school stuff too, so it's nice that you have that balance. Who makes those decisions or how does, is that, you know, in some cases it's grower dictated and other times it's like sales marketing dictated. How does that process so, kind of, how do you how do you establish what you want to grow? So it's a little bit of both, you know, obviously working with, you know, the sales sales side of things, marketing and, and you know, kind of seeing what the market wants, trying to, you know, provide that obviously, um, you know, but then there's also, you know, the corporate, you know, side of things where we're trying to, you know, build kind of like a franchise uh, you know, strain list where, you know, if you go to Cureleaf, let's say in Arizona or, you know, Cureleaf in, uh, New York, and let's say you know you get um, I don't know a banana papaya. You know if you go to Arizona or New York, you're going to have the same you know consumer experience you know in both markets. Um, so that's something that you know Cureleaf is kind of um, looking at. You know trying to provide the consumer with the same you know cultivar experience you know from state to state. And you know, kind of growing styles are obviously going to differ from you know facility to facility. So that kind of plays into you know cultivar expression and stuff like that, but just trying to standardize maybe a list of, of genetics, you know, across all the sites that so we can, you know, get that homogenous consumer experience, whether you're in, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast. So I think that's something that they're, we're kind of working on a little bit, so it'll be interesting. Easy to say, hard to do, right? Yeah. Um, is that um, something where it's like, you know, do you hope to have like a strong core and then have like a let's call it seasonal types or unique stuff that might be unique to that state? Or are you thinking that the ultimate goal is to have, you know, let's say if you have 24 cultivars, they're the same 24 for 
all states, or do you see that as like a kind of a hybrid? Yeah, it'll it'll definitely probably be a, more of a hybrid approach. I mean, there's there's always going to be you know different things grown in different states. It's, it'd be really challenging to standardize um, the same amount of strains you know across the board. You know, there's different you know, growing styles at some of these facilities. You know, for instance, you know we're double tiered LED, so we're kind of limited you know with our height factor you know by that second tier. Um, whereas you know a single tier HPS grower, you know they can grow really tall, can massive plants. Foot plant. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of you know limited in that regard to some of the cultivars that we run. Um, you know, shorter stature plants do better for us here underneath this growing model. Um, whereas that might not be you know the optimal cultivar for someone that's you know single tier growing under HPS. So. Yeah. So I couldn't help but notice that you have a really positive and mature leadership style. Where did you get some of these skills and traits? Sure. So, you know, like I said, you know, I transitioned from that lab tech role into a post-harvest supervisor. That was, you know, kind of my first, um, you know, dipping my toes into leadership, you know, a little bit um, type of experience, um, which was great. Um, you know, I, I led a smaller team of, you know, around six people, six to eight people. Um, so I kind of got, you know, some good experience there doing that for a while, uh, which kind of set me up, you know, perfectly to transition into a larger leadership role, you know, where I'm overseeing, you know, a whole entire, you know, operation. Uh, but yeah, I, I really didn't have much leadership experience. Um, I've always kind of just been a natural leader, um, you know, taking you know initiative on a lot of different things, just you know whatever it be throughout my life. Um, so I just kind of you know I've always had that natural ability to be a, you know a good and effective leader. Uh, but you know taking this role as cultivation manager, I knew that I needed to sharpen up on my leadership skills, and you know, I started doing you know a lot of reading you know about leadership strategies. You know do some LinkedIn learnings. Um, I got some good reviews from um, Careleaf HR. You know gave me a couple you know short books to read, which I thought were really helpful. Um, and then last year um, at Cultivate, uh, which is a big trade show here in Columbus that they do every year. Um, you know, there's a lot of seminars and stuff going on there, you know, a lot of good speakers, and you know, you know, there's the trade show aspect of it. Everyone that goes there likes to go out on the floor and you know, spend time looking at the, the new latest and greatest techie you sure. know, uh, item out there or whatever. Uh, but I didn't really spend you know, much of my time out there on the floor looking at all these you know, new, new gadgets and stuff. I spent most of my time you know, in the classroom setting that they had there, you know, listening to these, these um, you know, really well-rounded speakers you know, that had PhDs and you know, were very, very you know, well-educated people talking about you know, the importance of you know, uh, social intelligence um, and you know, uh, having you know, empathy for your employees and you know, just kind of um, you know, how to build an effective um, team and you know, the importance of that. You know, everything you know, starts with your people. Um, there's a lot of value in the people of your organization. I mean, without good people, you know, you, you don't have an organization. Um, and Cureleaf, you know, puts a lot of value in that. You know, building, you know, our benchmark of people, you know, from, you know, people like myself, you know, starting off the ground level, building our teams from within as, as opposed to, you know, hiring, you know, from outside. So I always try to promote my people from within, you know, build that succession, you know, give um, employees kind of a line of sight, like, you know, here you are today, you know, this is where you want to be tomorrow, you know, here are the steps, you know, to kind of get there, uh, which I think is really important. Uh, when people have, you know, that line of sight, you know, of how to achieve, you know, a goal that they want, and, you know, that makes them feel confident in what they're doing every day. You know, a lot of people um, in the cannabis industry, you know, they, they join the cannabis industry thinking it's, you know, going to be one thing and they get in here and it, it's a whole different beast. You know, this sure. is, um, at the end of the day, you know, it's a production facility. You know, we're, you know, 
basically, uh, you know, a cannabis factory. You know, we're focusing on, you know, how do we, you know, optimize our processes, how do we standardize things, and you know, it's it's a lot different than what people maybe initially think the cannabis industry is. So it's a huge, you know, shock to some people that come into the industry. Um, and I think that's why we see a high turnover rate just in the industry in general is kind of that misconception. Um, but you know, having people that come in here, you know, put in the, the hard work every single day, you, know, you give them that path of you know how to get where they want to be um, is really important. You know, they'll they'll you know come in you know day in and day out, you know, strive really hard, work really hard towards that goal. You, know, you give them the tools you know to to achieve those things, and then you see you know good internal growth you know on your teams, which is really important. Um, which is kind of you know the the methodology I've kind of wanted to implement here, and um, I think it's really important. You know, you build a really good team by doing that, and um, you know I'm a perfect perfect example of that. You know, I started off you know, as a lab tech and, and cultivation manager now, and I'm super grateful. You know that Cureleaf gave me you know all the tools um, you know and experience you know to to get to where I am, uh, but but really it's up to the to the individual at the end of the day. You know. Um, you know, how bad do you, you want to, you know, have that upward mobility? You know, a lot of people, you know, in the cannabis industry will, you know, get in this rut or plateau, you know, at the position that they're at and they kind of get burnt out um, and kind of get discouraged, you know, like, I'm not seeing, you know, the uh, the raise that I, you know, want or I'm not seeing the position change that I am, you know, I'm working towards or whatever. I um, mean, they, they kind of get this, you know, uh, the grass is greener on the other side mentality and, you know, they're looking for their outside opportunities. And what I tell people, you know, my employees and stuff, you know, the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You know, the grass is greener where you water it, um, you know, put, put a lot of effort into, you know, your position now and what you're doing now as opposed to just looking for that next opportunity because, you know, you're going to you're going to be starting all over again when you go to an, another facility like, you know, you know, work on your position and put in put in that hard work every single day, day in and day out. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if I had this this pay rate or if I had this title, then I would do X, Y and Z. And what I tell people is, you know, put in the hard work, you know, you know be very dedicated in what you do. Um, and all those things will come, you know, the, the positions and the titles and, you know, the pay rates and all that stuff will come, you know, with your, your un unwavering, you know, dedication to the team or to the organization. Like that stuff gets noticed. I'm a prime example of that. I, you know, I came in early on and I knew that I obviously didn't want to stay at the ground level entry position. I um, mean, you know, I had a hunger for more and, you know, wanted a leadership role and, you know, was wanted to make this my career ultimately. Um, so I took it very seriously, um, you know, gave 110% every single day, uh, strive for perfection in everything that we do, which I think is really important. Um, you know, the devil's in the details. When you really focus on um, some of the, you know, granular aspects of what you're doing on a day-to-day, -day, you know, that kind of shows itself on the back end of, you know, your finished product. And I think a lot of people don't embody that. You know, they just come in, you know, punch in, punch out, collect a paycheck every two weeks. Um, and I tell people, you know, that's, that's not a good way to uh, go about, you know, you know improving uh, your position with the company. You know, come in, you know, give 110%, you know, show a lot of pride in what you do every single day. And, you know, those things will come, you know, the, the titles and increase in pay and all that stuff. And CureLeaf does a really good job of recognizing talent and, you know, puts those people in the right positions, um, which is awesome. You know, I couldn't be more thankful for that. Yeah, that's awesome. As a, as a leader in your company, when you're looking at someone who's a new hire, do you have a preference on if they have previous cannabis experience or not? 
Yeah, so actually I, I, I would prefer a clean slate. I mean, it's great if they, you know, have done some things, you know, maybe worked in another facility or just have a little bit of a horticultural background. Like, that's great, you know, to have that base knowledge. But it's not a requirement at all. I actually really love when someone just comes in here, you know, as a clean slate. Maybe they were working in a factory before, you know, working in a production facility of another type. Um, I think that's great. Um, you know, we don't have to untrain any bad habits. You know, we're, you know, giving, you know, giving a fresh clean slate to teach them, you know, all the things that we do here. Here, you know, we have standard operating procedures. We have um, protocols for for what we do and why we do it. And if you get that kind of more experienced grower that thinks they know everything, or you know, have a lot of bro science behind what they do in the garden, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, they can kind of have some conflicting, um, you know ideas about you know what you're telling them to do as opposed to what they've done maybe you know in their their home garden or uh, maybe another facility so i think you know having a clean slate is never a bad thing and i, I don't that's not a prerequisite you know for me when i'm looking at you know employee to hire you don't have to have any experience you know we have all the tools you know to teach you everything that you need to know here and um, I actually, I prefer that. So yeah, don't, yeah. don't need that at all. I always think that's a surprise, and I, and I agree with you 100%. Um, it's almost like easier to mold someone. It's that old dog, new tricks kind of concept. But um, I think a lot of people don't realize this. You know, they're like, oh, I'm really interested in this space, but I know, you know, they'll still say something like, oh, I kill my house plants, or I have a brown thumb, or you know, some comment like that. And and they're hesitant. But um, time and time again, I hear that. Employers prefer people with little to no experience in cannabis and they prefer to shape them. They're looking for people that are honest and hardworking and want to prove themselves. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something about sometimes people get stagnant or frustrated because maybe they're, you know, they, they want something that they want it and they're not getting it right now. And I'm like, is this like a, is this a younger gen? Is this like the millennials and the Gen Ys and Zs and whatever else? And they're just used to this instant gratification thing. Yep, exactly. Um, Cause I don't see it as much with some of my uh, previous older employees as an example. You know, they, they understand that work is work and it takes time to, you know, quote unquote, climb a ladder. Yep. Yeah. And, and I see that too. You know, I'm part of this, this younger generation, you know, um, a lot of um, the younger generation is looking for that instant gratification. You know, you can tell them, you know, to, to come in and, and work hard, you know, uh, you know, day in and day out, you know, they'll maybe do that for a few months and then they don't see the, the instant gratification that they're looking for. And then, you know, it kind of shifts and then they stop being, you know, the all-star employee that they try to embody for a few months. Um, so what I tell people is, you know, come in, give 110% every single day um, and don't let anything waver that, you know, just, you know, strive for perfection in all that you do. Um, you know, do everything to the best of your abilities and, and all those things will come in, in due time. I mean, it might take you know a year, it might take two years, it might take three years, uh, but you know, being consistent in the way that you 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 know um, handle yourself and you know, in your work environment is really important, um, and that kind of shows that you know you're very serious. You know, this is your your career, and you're, you know you're wanting to build upon that. So I think a lot of people kind of miss that, and you know, like you said, look for that instant gratification, and, and sometimes it doesn't come, and then they they get discouraged, and you know, look for the the yeah, greener pasture, you know, down the road or whatever. So yeah. There's also an element of startup, and even if you're on year two, it's still startup. It's mm -hmm. still, you're evolving, you're refining things. And I find that some people struggle with the concept of like things aren't super finite and that things shift on them. And you know, some people have light feet and some people have cement shoes to some extent. So that seems to be another thing that people start up and they came from a very mature company that has been doing something for 40 years exactly like this. And like you said, they punch in, they do these things out and it's just a job. But you mentioned something earlier about the collective passion that the team has. And I, I find another theme common when I talk to someone like yourself, 
it's actually not uncommon for them to come to, from some kind of like healthcare background or aspiring healthcare or education background. And it comes back to this concept of, I just wanted to help people. And then they go down a certain, it could be pharmaceuticals or medical device or uh, you know, nurse practitioner path or pre-med. And they get in there a bit and they start to realize that you know, there's a lot of handcuffs and restrictions to actually getting to help the people. But cannabis is unique and it, yeah, you get to help a ton of people. But in this case, where you know, your previous career you were gonna be a nurse, so you were thinking, all right, I mean, as someone who was a sick child, I really think that nurses make a world of difference over doctors in terms of how they communicate and how they make a patient feel. But you're, you're, you're really one-on-one -on -one with people, where here, you're helping a lot more people, but you have actually like little to no actual physical connection with them. I guess, how does that impact, or how does that make you feel, or, I mean, it, it still checks the boxes for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I don't have the same, um, you know, role that I would have as, you know, being a nurse or nurse practitioner where I'm, you know, face-to-face -face with, you know, um, a patient. Uh, but I still get to hear all these great stories. You know, maybe you know, it's a parent that has a child that has epilepsy, um, you know, where they're having seizures, all, you know, throughout the day. And then they tell me, hey, you know, we, we tried, you know, a tincture from you guys. And now my kid, you know, is seizure free, you know, every single day. And the, that just, you know, brings a lot of joy to me. And um, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, and I hear those stories all the time. My girlfriend, for example, she has um, really bad migraines and she tried everything that you could imagine, you know, from, from the phar pharmaceutical realm and nothing was working. Um, and you know, she was similar similar to me um, growing up, you know, parents were super strict, you know, we grew up in the, the era of dare, you know, where cannabis is bad, you know, there's no benefits to cannabis, it's a drug, you know, you'll you'll turn into a loser if you... If you yeah, uh, you'll hurt yourself, you'll yeah. hurt other people. Yeah, so yeah. we kind of, you know, grew up in that narrative. Um, so she, she never really thought about using cannabis, you know, to to alleviate, you know, migraine symptoms. And then she kind of, you know, stumbled into um, cannabis, not by me, but before me. And uh, she tried uh, tried cannabis and found out that it gave her a lot of relief. Um, you know, cannabis is a vasodilator, kind of opens up blood vessels, you know, allows, you know, better blood flow. And that was the reason for a migraine was, uh, you know, mm. uh, circulation issues. So a great relief from that, you know, something that doesn't have a bunch of side effects. Um, it's really, um, you know, important to a lot of people. Um, so it was great to, you know, to hear these stories from different people. Like, you know, I, I was trying all these different things, nothing was working, and then I found cannabis, and, you know, it's really improved my quality of life. And I love hearing those stories, and, that, you know, when I hear those, it kind of reminds me, like, you know, this is, this is why I do what I do, and uh, I take a lot of pride in that, and I love hearing those stories. I'll never get tired of, of people telling me, you know, that we get from cannabis, and I think that is awesome, and there's a lot of, lot of uh, medical benefit in, in this plant, and I think that Cureleaf is doing a great job of, you know, kind of, providing um, you know clarity around cannabis and confidence around consumption you know that's kind of um, our our motto as a company um, you know trying to provide that for um, you know our patients whether it be medical or recreational um, and I think Curelic is doing a great, a great job of that yeah that's awesome and you know we have a lot of crossover but I remember when I was in operation years ago and it was back when Charlotte's web became kind of a thing uh, we didn't have lab testing up until a certain point. All of a sudden we got lab testing and we were like, because before that we would consume the product and we were like, yep, this one tastes good, this one's strong. That was how it was like 2011-ish. Um, and then we got in the early days of Colorado and like elevated CBD stuff. And we're like, oh, that's interesting. And then, you know, Charlotte's Web kind of came out and all of a sudden there was a really long line of people to be on that list because they had limited supply. Um, and we happened to be doing a lot of pheno hunting like you're doing and uh, 
we were able to identify a couple of cultivars and like you said, and this was a little bit different because we were a startup, it was our own capital, and there was hard times, and there's times where you're like, I just don't want to work another 16 or 18 hour day, I, I need a break, or you almost want to quit at certain times, but then, you know, a story from a mother who says, thank you so much, I just heard my child laugh for the first time, who has adolescent uh, epilepsy. Yeah, and really just, you know, scratching the surface, you know, on what, what the possibility is for this plant. Um, you know, there's, you know, over 100 known cannabinoids in cannabis. Um, you know, we've, we've learned about the endocannabinoid system, you know, we have your CB1 and CB2 receptors. The only thing that can bind with those receptors are cannabinoids. Um, you know, I tell people the human physiology doesn't make mistakes, you know, um, that is there for a reason. I think it plays a vital role in homeostasis um, in regulating certain metabolic processes that are going on inside the body. Um, and so when I kind of started learning about the endocannabinoid system, it really intrigued me and I wanted to learn more about it and I wanted to be part of, you know, changing that stigma around it because, you know, myself, you know, growing up, you know, I thought cannabis was bad, you know, it's this drug that doesn't have any medical benefit, you know, you're a loser if it's you... A it's a gateway drug, Yeah, it's right? a gateway drug <laughs> and, you know, you're going to ruin your life if you end up consuming this. And um, I never, never consumed or anything and when I started doing this research, you know, uh, when I was around 16, um, I was like, you know, I, I want to grow this plant and, and, and try it out myself. You know, I had no way to access cannabis, um, you know, wasn't exposed to that realm, that world at all. So, you know, I had, I had a pretty good green, green thumb. I love growing plants and stuff. So, you know, I, I got, some, got my hands on some seeds and I, I grew six uh, autoflowers start to finish indoors under some, you know, good old T5 lights and uh, oh, nice. got, got a couple. Real frosty, not yeah, a big yield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got, got a couple ounces off my, my six plants that I grew. I got like eight ounces. And um, oh, yeah. that's good. Oh, T5s? Yep. It's impressive. So I got, um, you know, got to try uh, cannabis for the first time, and it was, you know, from a plant that I grew. So I knew everything that kind of went, in, went into that plant, and that completely changed my perspective on what cannabis was and, you know, what the possibilities were for, for cannabis in the future. And that's where, you know, I really just dove down the rabbit hole in cannabis, you know, was getting my hands on all the knowledge that I could and, you know, researching, you know, anything that I could about the plant, and uh, I really learned a lot. What was that first cultivar? You autoflower some kind of yeah, dutch dutch a, lineage or syrup autoflowers uh, that was the that was okay. the strain that i grew yeah. cool yeah i still have my first uh light fixture it was a 400 watt light fixture and i remember i went to the hydroponic store in orlando florida and i don't know in my mind i can't remember if i spent like 800 dollars or 1200 on my setup but in my mind as i'm driving home i thought i just i just invested in a rocket ship or you know you feel like on top of the world and out of all the stuff i've kept I've gotten rid of all kinds of stuff, but I, I kept that that 400 watt fixture just as a reminder of kind of where it where it started yeah. for me. And same thing, I I got a hold of in Holland, and it was a love affair after that. I had no idea that there was so much diversity in the plant. And and, and Durban was actually one of the Durban poison was one of the first things that I ever grew, and I had no idea that a plant could smell like that yeah. or look like that. Um, and after that, I was like, oh, there's all these other varieties out there, and it was like. It was almost like Pokemon or something. I wanted to, I wanted to collect them all. I wanted to experience them all. I won, and I say experience because it, that's exactly what it is. It's not just um, an effect. It's some, sometimes the the best part of cannabis to me is actually like grinding it up and maybe rolling a, a joint or something. It's there's a ritual there. You know, it's it's therapeutic. It's relaxing. Now in the state of Ohio, speaking of joints, yeah, they don't exist. Correct. Yeah, we should have touched on that a little bit uh, when we were talking about the, the special regulations, you know, around Ohio. So yeah, Ohio is a non-combustible state. Um, so no pre-rolls in the state of Ohio. Um, all flour that is sold in the state is, um, you know, 
for vaporizer. vaporization um, use, um, so which is a little bit different than most other markets. Yeah. And do, how do they define vaporization? Is it like a temperature thing? Because there's, right, you like vape and then there's combustion. Right, so you, yeah, you're just not getting over to that point to where you're actually combusting the flower. Um, but there's no way that that could be regulated. Like once a patient gets product home, it's they're gonna do whatever they do with it. But yeah, it's such yeah. a funny. It is. Yeah. Let's you know be realistic. Most most people you know that go and buy flour, like yeah, there's there's definitely a handful of people that will take it and put it in their volcano or their vaporizer or whatever. But there's a lot of people out there that are you know going the more traditional route and you know put it in a bowl or bong or joint or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it is very interesting the stance that Ohio took on that. And the concentrate market here, like you know, it's a newer state, right? So. In all new states, that takes a little while for the concentrate market to really pick up. Um, you know, in mature states like Colorado, as an example, or even California, like concentrates, you know, are a decent chunk of the market. Pre-rolls, almost every state, is a really solid. You know, it's it's a convenience factor for people, and it's also a lot of people can't roll a joint. That's what right. I've learned. Yeah. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the concentrate market here and, and kind of that demand or? you know, where it is now and maybe where you see it going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as the market kind of gets more educated, um, we're gonna see, you know, more people going for maybe a, a formulated uh, concentrate type of a product as opposed to your normal traditional flour. Um, you know, concentrates are great. They, they remove all the undesirable aspects of the plant matter, you know, all your fats, waxes, and lipids, and, you know, kind of give you all the things that you, you do want that you are, are getting, you know, the medical benefit from in a smaller package. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to kind of transition into that because, you know, it's very discreet. You know, you're after you, you know, maybe hit a vape pen, your, your clothes aren't going to reek like, like cannabis. You know, a lot of people that use, you know, cannabis products, you know, they're in professional settings. You know, they're around people that maybe don't really have that uh, good, great outlook on cannabis or maybe still have that stigma, you know, stuck in their head. So it, it's always good to have those options where people can discreetly use um, products without, you know, smelling like, you know, uh, combusted flour or you know whatever so um, I do see that you know concentrates are going to be a huge part of the market um, and a lot of people have predicted that we'll see flour go away altogether and we'll just be completely concentrate dominated and I don't see that happening I would say I would strongly disagree yeah with that. I think yeah. that um, that flour is is here to stay um, you know the market has kind of showed that um, high quality flour you know is is one of the leading sellers you know pretty much in, in all the states markets across the board um, and I think we're not going to see that go away. You know, people like you know the process, like you said, you know, grinding up the flour, you know, rolling up their joint or whatever you know their their preferred method of consumption is. And I don't think people are going to get away from that. You know, um, the use of cannabis has been around for thousands of years, um, and that is you know part of our culture and you know, a lot of different um, you know um, civilizations have you know kind of. You know, made that ceremonious. You know, in, in several ways. You know, whether it be you know cannabis or tobacco or whatever. But that people like doing that. You know, the whole process of you know smoking or whatever is just kind of uh, nostalgic for a lot of people. Yeah, and I know we're in a medical state, but there's definitely a community around it too. That's something too where I think a lot of uh, maybe people who aren't as experienced in this market. They're like, well, I just get my stuff from this, you know, the market or something like that. And really, unless you know your farmer on the market and you have a really good relationship there, it gets pretty scary. And I always, I always tell people, I go, well, why would a market grow or grow product? What's the number one reason? Money. Money. Yeah. Bingo. That's right. Now, let's say, and you know the challenges of cultivating, whether small scale or large scale. You know, you have, um, you have pests. You have disease there's all kinds of things that can go wrong and so if your main motivator is money and you don't have a regulatory body over you and let's say you get 
some kind of pest and you are not a skilled farmer and you don't know how to get rid of it, you're most likely gonna spray something on that product that is hard chemistry mm -hmm. uh, to eradicate that problem because you, you, know, you might have to pay your mortgage with that money and you just can't afford to do the right thing, so to speak. Where in the legal market, you know, those products are all restricted. And so, you know, you have people all over the country who unfortunately don't have medical programs but have real medical issues who potentially, you know, they're like, oh, I'm getting symptomatic relief from maybe muscle spasticity or sleep apnea or something like that. But they're also potentially doing severe neurological damage or respiratory damage. And so a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, the market cannabis is better. And sometimes qualitative-wise, you know, there's certain growers out there that's smaller operation, they're really hands-on, they might have a unique genetic, sure. and sometimes the cannabis is better. But also, there's this thing that really isn't talked about, and it's all those restricted products mm -hmm. that get yeah. used from plant growth regulators to hard chemistry on the spray side. Yeah. And you know, as someone with a nursing background, I mean, it's got to be pretty concerning. And yeah. there's not enough education nationally or around this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that was kind of my concern when I very first, you know, wanted to, you know, seek out and try cannabis. You know, I was like, wow, I don't want to, you know, buy it from somebody. Maybe sell something, or there's something on it, you know, that you know, is, you know, could be harmful to me. That's why I took the approach of, you know, growing my first plant that I ever, you know, ended up consuming. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that you know, cure leaf kind of pushes that, you know, um, ideology, you know, around confidence and consumption. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you, when you buy a Cure Leaf product, you can confidently say that, you know, it has been, you know, tested rigorously. Um, you know, we've, um, you know, sent it through all the different testing that is required for each state. Um, and, and you can confidently say that, you know, that all the inputs that were used to cultivate that product, you know, fall within a certain guidelines that make that safe. Um, you know, I've seen all kinds of, of um, you know, improper use of products, you know, in the market, you know, people spraying really harsh you know, chemistry, you know, bad pesticides. I've seen a lot of things, even in the legal market, you know, where, where flour fails for heavy metals or, or uh, mycotoxins or things, and that's in the legal market where we have all these resources. So you can only imagine the amount of, um, you know, things that are, are happening in the market that you don't really, you know, hear about because there is no testing, you know, of those things. So I think it is, you know, very vital, you know, from a medical patient standpoint to have that, you know, clean COA, you know, attached to the product that you're buying or consuming. Uh, that gives you confident, um, you know, confidence in uh, the product that you're consuming and putting in your body, you know, is very important for all of us as it should be. You know, this is something that's going into your body and uh, you know, it's going to affect you know, your quality of life. So you should, you know, have a high level of concern, you know, for the inputs uh, that were used to cultivate that crop. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm thinking from a patient perspective right now and, you know, from feedback I've heard over the years, you know, they're like, I love this one cultivar, but, you know, the local facility I'm getting at, it's really batch to batch, you know, and they're looking for that, that level of consistency. And there's so many inputs that need to happen. And, you know, indoor environment, you can dial that in a lot more. Greenhouses, there's so much seasonality to a greenhouse sure. that it makes it challenging. But people also don't realize, and depending on the caliber of the building and how well it's insulated in the HVAC and all this other stuff, People forget that buildings have seasonality as well. Yeah. Is there anything that you can talk about with um, to that regard at all? Of like, are there any major changes that you have to consider when winter comes here versus summer and things like that, even for an indoor facility? Sure. Um, so a lot of a lot of facilities, you know, they'll will struggle with you know maintaining good environmental controls uh, throughout the, you know the change of seasons. You know, in the summertime, obviously you're going to deal with high heat, so your HVAC is going to be look, working a little harder you know, as opposed to you know the fall and winter. 
Um, but we're really lucky here at this facility. We have you know some of the best you know state of the art HVAC equipment, so we're able to maintain a very um, you know even environmental set points across the board, um, which is very very important for you know steering your crop in the direction that you want. So a lot of growers don't have you know that, that type of resources that we have here, uh, but we're very lucky you know to have the infrastructure that we have here in Johnstown. Um, you know we have. Some of the some of the best equipment just kind of across the board. You know, we have the, the pip racks in all of our rooms, which are which are awesome, and we love. Um, we have really good you know LED lights, you know, from a you know top uh, manufacturer in, in the industry, and we have you know really good HVAC, um, which is very important for maintaining the environmental set points that you're looking for in your grow. So. I think HVAC is probably the most important component, especially when you start talking about multi-tier vertical farming. And it seems to be an area that a lot of people get wrong, specifically around dehumidification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's just a lack of understanding of transpiration. It's, ever, it's, it's always a, a team of people to do HVAC. So you've got your engineers, and then you've got your product, or your manufacturer, and then that manufacturer may have like a a dedicated installer, and then you're gonna have your like local facility person, and so there's a lot of communications that need to happen. And when you know when there is an issue, I've always found there's like a little bit of finger pointing, you know, and it's like you gotta just kind of wrangle everyone together and, and get them going. But to me, when I think of like what craft cannabis is, it's some combination of quality genetics that are hopefully unique and proprietary in a perfect world, but also that ability to control your environment. What about for you? Like, what what are the like the key pillars of success that you would consider for how to achieve craft cannabis? Yeah, you know, I get that question a lot. You know, a lot of people, you know, ask, you know, what what you know makes you know cannabis craft? Like, what what dictates that? You know, is it because you're hand watering your crop? Is it because it's organic? Is it because you know of you know all these different things? Like, what you know makes that craft? And for me, you know, it's just cultivating with intent. You know. Um, not just you know growing things at mass scale just to pump out you know as much you know quantity as you can it's you know putting that quality above the quantity aspect um, you know with for a lot of MSOs you know that's not really their their mentality to do that uh, but I think it's very important you know to focus on the quality over quantity aspect and you know pumping out the highest you know quality product that you can uh, which you know comes down to all your different practices and processes that are you know occurring in your garden and standardizing that and you know maintaining you know repetition and doing the same thing and anytime you change you know a variable or an input do it on a small scale first you know ensuring that that's going to work for you before you implement that across the board but just cultivating with intent you know with um, quality in mind I think is kind of what makes you know craft cannabis craft cannabis um, there's you can you know grow cannabis in a variety of different, you know, methodologies and, and styles and achieve, you know, good results in each of those. It's just, you know, the level of care that you put into that, um, you know, on the on the back end is, is going to dictate whether that's going to be, you know, craft cannabis or if that's just going to be, you know, your everyday um, middle of the road, you know, type of product. Middle of the road is a tough spot to be in if that's the end of your product, you know, it's like either got to be that low quality producer, well, you know, low budget, but like really budget friendly. But like when you're in that middle zone, that's a tough space to be in. Yep. Always, you know, great cannabis always sells. Yep. Um, and cheap cannabis always sells. So that middle part, which is where a lot of people fall into, that's it's tricky. It's hard to differentiate yourself. You can brand and market all you want, but at the end of the day, when they open that jar and it looks okay, right? You know, it's yeah, and, and you know, we see 
see um, the market kind of shifting right now with the economic times that we're under. You know, the uh, the consumer is very cost conscious. You know, mm-hmm. they maybe only have an extra fifty, sixty to hundred dollars, you know, a week or whatever to spend on cannabis products. So they're not going to take that chance, you know, to to buy a product or try a product from a company that has burnt them in the past. So if they've you know tried something that was subpar and you know, they didn't really like it, the chances of them trying another strain or another product from you very minimal. Um, so I think it's very important um, to you know put out you know the best products that you can because you never know like that product might be the first product someone tries you know as they're coming into the, the medical market in Ohio. So I think you know putting out the best product that you can is is vital to maintaining you know this repeat customers and you know loyal customers that are coming back you know searching for the same products that they tried and really liked um, because like I said you know most people don't have a lot of extra money right now with the crazy gas prices and inflation and everything sure. going up. Uh, people are kind of cautious about what they spend their extra money on so I think you know being aware of that is very important. So you know for most people that are in the space when they think about a, a multi-state operator like Cureleaf you know it's kind of like the big elephant in the room they're the big player um, but a lot of people probably don't know how Cureleaf came to be. Can you give us any insights on kind of the the first early days of Cureleaf and kind of what they were doing previously and kind of how they became the company that they are today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we began as a, a medical device company, actually, um, you know, helping late-stage cancer, cancer patients uh, consume and, and utilize um, medical cannabis you know, in the hospital. I kind of transitioned from that um, to buying their first dispensary in 2015. Um, and since then, I've kind of just expanded on that. Um, now we have over 134 dispensaries you know, across the country. Uh, we operate in over 22 states. Um, and, and now we're even across the pond uh, over in Europe. Um, we have a presence in key markets like the UK, France, Italy, Portugal, Spain. Um, we're the largest uh, vertically integrated cannabis company um, in, in Europe. So, uh, you know, we've come a long way from, from our original roots as uh, a medical uh, device company helping, helping patients use cannabis. Um, so very, very small and you know, humble beginnings. Um, but I think you know they've they've built a great. Fa- they started off you know with a great foundation and have built upon that. And you know now we're trying to you know, reach as many patients as we can um, across the country, and you know really provide you know confidence in the consumption of cannabis. You know and clarity around you know the products that they're consuming, which I think is really important. You know from a consumer standpoint. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really interesting. I did I had no idea. You know we're, we talked a lot about patients today because we're in a medical state, but you also you you know the team operates obviously in other states that have adult use. Is there really anything different about the cannabis that is produced from the medical side to the adult or recreational side? You know, whether it be you know a medical-driven um, state or a rec state or adult use state, um, the same amount of you know care and passion um, goes into cultivating those same same things. You know, it doesn't matter if it's for medical purposes or for recreational. Um, we we embody you know the same principles you know, in, in cultivating that plant, whether, you know, it's going to go to a medical patient or go to someone that's just enjoying it for recreational purposes. Uh, we think that it's important to give the same level of, you know, care, you know, to each one of those. So. Nice. Yeah, it's just a different color metric tag, right? Yep. That's yep. the only difference. Exactly. Yeah, cool. So Cureleaf has a handful of brands underneath Cureleaf. Can you kind of highlight those for me? Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners? Absolutely. So Cureleaf is focused on developing highly formulated products and form factors that are, that are rooted in science and um, you know are specifically designed to address you know health and wellness needs for our customers. Um, so with that, you know we have we have three brands. We have the Cureleaf brand, which is you know our health and wellness brand. Uh, then we have Select, 
Um, Select is more of like a lifestyle, mm-hmm. culture-focused brand. Uh, we have, you know, our, our Select Vape line, you know, Select Elite Live. We have uh, Select Essentials, um, Select Elite, and we have our, our newest product, Select Click. And then we have Grassroots, and Grassroots is like our premium, you know, top shelf uh, line of uh, a flower. It's kind of, you know, the pinnacle of, you know, um, a flower for us. Um, so that's like our main, our, our three main brands that, that Cureleaf, you know, is focusing on and, and expanding on. Nice. For Grassroots, is that, like, is that cultivar specific? Like what, I guess what dictates the premium? Is it, is it a, like a top part of the plant or is it certain varieties? So it, it's the way that that plant is handled, you know, there's a little bit extra care given to it, you know, maybe as opposed to, you know, being hand trimmed versus machine trimmed, okay. um, you know, when, when a patient buys, you know, a, t- a tenth or an eighth, you know, insurance. Yeah, tenth, I know, the right, I'm with it. <clears throat> but, um, you know, making sure that the, the nugs in that jar are, you know, top shelf quality, you know, instead of having, you know, maybe 10 different pieces of bud to make up that eighth, maybe only having, you know, two or three in a nice, you know, size coals in there to make up that, you know, eighth or whatever. Um, as opposed to, you know, just a bunch of little, you know, lower larve or, you know, stuff like that. So just, you know, focusing on, you know, the, the top, you know, colas of the plant or the, the higher quality buds, the A's and B grade bud, as opposed to the C and D. Um, but I mean, there, there's, there's great, you know, products on both sides, you know, there's, there's great grassroots products and there's great cure leaf products. It's just kind of, you know, what fits best for your budget. You know, some people, you know, find that the cure leaf products, you know, fit their budget better, checks all the boxes that they need to. And then we have the, you know, the other side of, of things with the grassroots where maybe, you know, the patient wants to spend, you know, a little bit more, you know, to get more of a top tier, you know, top shelf, you know, style of product. Um, so I think it's important to kind of, you know, have all those different offerings, you know, so we can, you know, reach, you know, different, you know, consumers, you know, that have different, um, you know, mindsets. Yeah, awesome. It's interesting to me, I, I like top colas and bigger colas myself, but at the end of the day, all I'm doing is making, I'm just grinding them up and pulling them apart and making them smaller. But I do see that there's a good amount of people that actually just like smalls. Um, do you guys do anything with just the smalls or does that mostly go to extract? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so one of the uh, products that we offer here in Ohio, we, we call smalls. Um, you know, we'll we'll sort out you know a batch of a bulk bud, and you know package all all the larger buds you know into our drams or you know into the the tenth the two point eight threes, and you know all the remaining stuff you know we'll, we'll also create SKUs from as well. You know we'll do you know half ounce smalls uh, you know for a little bit lower of a price point, mm-hmm. which a lot of people love. You know they're they're still getting that that same flower that they love just for a little bit lower of a price point. Like you said, you know most people are taking this product and and grinding it up anyway, so a lot of people don't care whether they get that big you know main cola or if it's a bunch of little smalls you know uh, you know at the end of the day they're just happy to get that product for a lower price point and you know save a little bit of money so yeah totally makes sense what's the future look like for you guys here uh i know that's a big question you're such a big company i know you have you know some perspective on things but maybe not all perspective but yeah what's what's the future for cure leaf look like yeah so uh, cure leaf's on a mission uh, to be the world's leading cannabis company um, you know, through education, accessibility, and um, customer satisfaction with high-quality products backed by science. Um, you know, Cureleaf is focusing on you know, growing and building these national brands, you know, looking for that, that long-term play. Um, you know, we believe that cannabis uh, will be no different than any other, you know, consumer good, you know, in the market, um, which is why we're investing in that national footprint. You know, we want to reach you know, as many 
um, you know, patients' hands or consumers' hands as possible, and we want people to associate like you know the Cureleaf name as you know like a, a house name when they think of cannabis, and you know kind of be you know the leading uh, you know brand you know in the market. Awesome. Now, for people local in Ohio, where can they find your products? Absolutely. Um, our products, you know, are across the state and all at all the dispensaries. Um, you know, you can um, go on to um, Weed Maps or Leafly and type in, you know, Cure Leaf products. You know, it'll point you in the right direction. But really, you, you should see a lot of our products, and and I would say at least ninety percent of the uh, dispensaries in Ohio. Um, we have two of our own um, dispensaries in the state of Ohio. Um, they're they're named uh, Herbology. That's the that's mm. the name of our dispensaries here in Ohio. We have one in Newark and we have one Cuyahoga Falls. So you know those are our dispensaries. So obviously you'll find a lot of our products there. Um, but you know we you know, we have 134 dispensaries nationwide. But we also supply over 2,200 um, you know wholesale retailers you know across the country. So you'll find our products in, in various um, you know dispensaries ac- across the country um, that you know aren't just Cure Leaf um, dispensaries. So kind of across the board, you, you'll have no problem finding finding our products. Awesome. So as we wrap things up, I'm curious, you know, we have people who are listening who are probably in the industry and, and we probably have people who are listening that are maybe considering getting in the industry and we probably have listeners that are just curious about all this stuff. But for those that are interested in, you know, being a part of this industry, is there some advice that you could give someone like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cannabis industry is a great industry, you know, if uh, to start at the bottom and kind of work your way up, you know, uh, you know, climb the ladder, if you will. My advice to people, if they're wanting, you know, those those upper, you know, elevated roles, you know, come in, you know, entry level, you know, give 110% every single day, you know, don't let that, you know, waver in any way, shape, or form, and just really strive to, to you know, be the best that you can in whatever role that it may be. Um, you know, strive for perfection, you know, strive for, you know, those little details that a lot of people just overlook. And, you know, maybe, you know, go to your, your boss or your direct report, you know, and say, hey, you know, um, if there's anything, you know, I can take off your plate or if there's anything you need help with, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, um, you know, help you out uh, in any way I can. And just show that interest, um, you know, in wanting a little bit more than what you got. You know, maybe, you know, your direct report gives you a task you know, and they think it's going to take you, you know, let's say four hours to do it and you do it in two hours, you know. Um, you know, go back to them and say, hey, you know, I got that task done. Is there is there something else that I can do for you uh, or what, what else would you like me to do? And just kind of, you know, show your, your direct report or your boss that, you know, you're striving for more. And, um, you know, when they hand you, you know, more responsibility and, you know, you take it and run with it and you know, take ownership of that, you know, it'll show. And then, you know, when a, you know, a role becomes available, you're going to be the first person that they're thinking of to fill that role because, you know, time and time again, you've shown to them that they can count on you um, and that, you know, everything that they've given you, you've, you've taken and, and ran with it. And, you know, they didn't have to go back over and, you know, double check that you did, you know, something right. You know, they just you know, have good confidence in you. And they know that when they give you a task, it's going to be done. And those are the people that, that you know, your leadership is going to is going to count on and going to go to, you know, for these elevated roles. So I think having that, that style of approach is important for someone that's, you know, wanting to kind of climb the ladder and maybe get to a more elevated role. Awesome. Yeah, assertive and consistent, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for your hospitality today. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect, I'll be honest. You know, I was like, oh, Cure Relief, it's a, it's a big deal. And yeah, I was pl- pleasantly surprised. I think you had um, genetics that I wasn't expecting. Your processes were, um, were great. Um, and the level of care and the morale. I never, you know, you never know what to expect. And you had a great morale. And I think a lot of that contributes to yourself and other leaders that you have here. So 
hopefully you guys can continue to spread that uh, throughout your organization and future yeah. projects. And uh, I look forward to following up with you in the yeah. future. Yeah, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pleasure is mine as well. You know, thank you for, for this opportunity to be on the podcast and kind of spotlight um, not only the Johnstown facility and what we do here, but just Cureleaf as you know, a national brand. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity and I look forward to, to watching the podcast. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at pithorticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.